This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Isn't it bullshit to have to question where your food comes from? At Vital Farms, you can trace your pasture-raised eggs all the way back to the source, the pasture. On the side of each pasture-raised carton of eggs, you'll find the name of the farm where your eggs were laid. And when you look the farm up on their website, you'll get a peek at all the sunshine, fresh air, and open space the hens enjoy. Learn more and find out where to buy them at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Clavio, the platform that powers smarter digital relationships. With Clavio, you can activate all your customer data in real time, connect seamlessly with your customers across all channels, guide your marketing strategy with AI powered insights, recommendations, and automated assistance, deliver experiences that feel individually designed at scale, and grow your business faster. Power smarter digital relationships with Clavio. Learn more at Clavio.com slash Spotify. That's K L A V I Y O.com slash Spotify. I'm Jason Palmer, one of the hosts of The Intelligence, The Economist's daily current affairs podcast. The Economist's award-winning shows make sense of what matters, from our special series on China's president to our weekly podcasts on business, technology, and American politics. Our journalists provide fair, in-depth reporting on the events shaping the world. Search for Economist Podcasts Plus and sign up to our free one-month trial. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the credit card created by Apple. It gives you unlimited daily cash back that you can now choose to grow in a high-yield savings account that's built right into the Wallet app. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone and start growing your daily cash with savings today. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings is available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility requirements. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC. Terms apply. It's time to say goodbye to hold music and say hello to fast customer support with Service Cloud. With trusted AI and data working together, you can skip long wait times and deliver efficient, personalized service right away. All while keeping support costs low and more customers happy. Reimagine your customer support with the number one AI CRM for service. Learn what's possible at Salesforce.com/products/service. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Darylise Lyons about demystifying diversity and embracing our shared humanity. Darylise Lyons, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm super excited to have a nice conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And today we're going to be talking more about your book, 
demystifying diversity, embracing our shared humanity, which I, I think is just a lovely title. I'm really excited to unpack that with you and to learn more about uh, your approach in your book. As we get started, I wanted to share Darylise's bio with everybody. Darylise Lyons is a journalist, an actor, and an activist. She has written more than two dozen full-length books, a handful of short stories, and countless articles performed in various plays and in improv comedy shows. She is a member of the National Association of Black Journalists and a summa cum laude graduate of NYU with a double major in English and Religious Studies and a minor in History. After writing an award-winning children's book, I'm Mixed, about embracing her multi-ethnic heritage, Darylise found her passion and her purpose educating others about the need to embrace all aspects of themselves. She then went on to create the Demystifying Diversity podcast and to write the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. She works tirelessly as a full-time DE&I expert and inclusivity strategist. What an amazing background, and it's just so lovely to have you back on the podcast. Anything else you would like to share by way of your uh, background and personal context with listeners before we dive on in? Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's so great to be back. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think because podcast is an audio journalism um, <laughs> you know, platform and, and people can't see me. Um, they might not know that I'm biracial, which I think is an important part of why I do this work and what I bring to this work in terms of my own experiences. My dad is Black, my mom is white. Um, and being able to sort of exist in that in that space of multiple um, overlapping identities uh, has I has allowed me to um, to be comfortable right in in the space between binaries that I think real diversity equity and inclusion work requires us to investigate. So I think that would just be the only thing I would add. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's wonderful and. And it's always wonderful to have uh, guests on the podcast who have diverse backgrounds. And I think particularly when we're talking about DE&I stuff, I think it's also important. You know, I, I feel like I'm an ally. I, I like to talk about these topics. It's one of the things I'm passionate about, but it's not lost on myself that, that I'm a white dude. <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes I'm a little hesitant to, to, to speak out because I want to, you know, give a platform and voice to others who probably have more of a, I don't know, a, a right to, to speak up uh, on these sorts of issues. Anyways, it's, it's a pleasure to have you and I'm excited to explore. Oh, well, thank you. And you know, Jonathan, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think there are many people who um, struggle to speak out on behalf of others um, because of their identities, right? And in your case, you mentioned being a, a, a white man and you know, feeling like, oh, do I really have a right to speak? Um, but I think one of the ways that we're going to be able to change this world of um, of bigotry and, and discrimination is for people to begin to use their voices within their communities, right? And there are certain communities that you might have access to that I might not have access to or someone else might not have access to. And so I really would encourage people who are listening to this of all identities to um to, yeah, speak to the people where you have a sphere of influence about this work and why it matters, because there are doors that I, I'll never be able to get through. And that's, you know, I mean, hopefully one day that will change, but it's never going to change if people of all identities don't, you know, don't speak about the things that really matter. Yeah, yeah, very good point. And, you know, I like you said, I wish, I wish we were in a world where 
where um, access wasn't an issue, where where everyone um, could truly contribute and, and be heard and 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 have their perspectives appreciated. And we're not there yet. There's still a lot of work that has to be done. And to your point, also, I, I know so many. Like I, I do try to speak up about these these topics, um, even though sometimes I feel like I'm navigating, you know, in a space that it's a little uncomfortable. Um, but it, it is important. But I have lots of friends and colleagues, you know, other white men, for example, straight white cisgendered men, who um, who are they're terrified <laughs> of of speaking up because they. They're just, they're, they're convinced they're going to say all the wrong things. They're going to stomp on people inadvertently and, and just hurt people when their intention is to help. And my answer to that is, I get it. Like, sometimes I put my foot in my mouth. I just say the wrong thing, um, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to get better at it. And, and hopefully I can add my voice uh, and within my sphere of influence, like you said, and hopefully you can make a difference. Yeah, you know, it's funny because so um, I think we're, we're going to talk about the book today and um, and a little bit about the work that I do. But, um, you know, so I am biracial. I'm also a member of the LGBTQ community. I'm bisexual um, as well. But, you know, I don't belong to every community that I engage with and interact with. And as a journalist, especially with the work I do for the Demystifying Diversity podcast and the work I did in preparation for the book, I spoke to many, many people who have identities that lie outside of the realm of my experience or expertise. And it it is scary, right? Because it's like, oh my God, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going into this conversation and um, from a space of wanting to understand, wanting to be empathetic, but also knowing that I'm going to get it wrong much of the time. And I think for me, like being able to kind of live at the edge of my comfort zone is what enables me to do this work. And it is what enables me to be more effective. And there are things that I said or did, you know, 10 years ago, that were five years ago, three years ago, last week, right? That I like cringe at today because I've learned as I've continued to move forward. And the only way that I've been able to learn effectively is from these meaningful interactions with people who have different lived experiences than I do. Um, not from a space of tokenism, but from a space of like, I actually want to be a better human. And for me, that means being part of a more expanded world um, and having a deeper understanding. So yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a mythology that somehow we're going to get all the information and then be able to do the application. But my experience is, is that we learn from the doing, from the interacting, from stepping outside of our comfort zone, failing, making a mistake. I mean, you know, uh, like if we were riding a bicycle, if I were teaching someone how to yeah. ride a bicycle and they fell a couple of times, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, you know, the bicycle is the problem and I'm never going to ride again. It would be, okay, well, what do I need to acquire a better skill set? How do I practice this? And I think it's the same with racial literacy, cultural competency, and all the other elements of DEI. I mean, we want to have a certain level of knowledge before going into these situations, but at a certain point, like we got to, we got to try and practice and fall and get up and try again and just keep doing that until it becomes um, second nature. Yeah. Well said. And and I can't help but reflect on, again, you know, I, I've been having conversations in this space um, for a long time and I do research in this area too. And um, you know, I, I, I can, I can, I can say that where I'm at now is a much better place than I was 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago. Um, I'm better at 
at this now than I was back then. And I do cringe at, you know, some of the things I did with good intentions, but that, that I did in the past. And so, yeah, just dive on in, do your best, try to learn and grow. Uh, my, my experience is most people within these different communities are also very gracious and understanding. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, you know, we, we just got to give it our best go and, and that'll make a difference because, you know, I, I think about my family, for example, um, a lot of good people, well-intentioned people, um, very, very, very socially and religiously conservative people, um, which also brings with it certain perspectives. And so, you know, for many of my family, they're never going to have these conversations unless I have them with them <laughs> Be- yeah. because, because they're never in the space where it's going to happen, uh, where they're, where, where someone might kind of push them to challenge their assumptions or their understanding. And so, so, you know, I, I, that's on me. I, I think I, I have to, to bear some responsibility for trying to have those conversations and to do them in a productive way. And, and that's just one example. Well, and it's an important example, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because like in engaging with your family, let's say, for example, um, there's a foundation, I would assume, of love, right, and respect and a knowledge base of all the experiences that you've shared over time. And um, and, and that's going to be a very different conversation than, let's say, someone being confronted on a social media platform, right, for something that they said, or even just in, interacting with a stranger and having that stranger, like, you know, get defensive and say something to them about, you know, a, a, a word or a comment or a phrase that they used, not knowing that it was insensitive or um, or potentially cruel. And, and I think sometimes we have these conversations from a space of anger and rage and fear. And those, that is just makes people so defensive. And, um, and so I think if anyone's going to be equipped to change hearts and minds, it's, it's family members, it's friends, it's people who actually know the heart of, of someone who is, um, is creating harm often without realizing it, without knowing it and and who can connect with them at that level and say like, listen, I know that this is what you're saying that you want and this is who you are as a person. And when you do this, you might not realize that it is impacting people in this way, you know, and and that's a very different conversation than like, I can't believe you said that, you know, and, and just that, um, which is just going to make people go into that fight or flight response. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think starting with those we love is, is important and it's impactful and it, it does begin to change the narrative and, and um, yeah, I, I, I can't advocate enough for loving people enough to, um, to have these conversations with them. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. And Let's let's dive into your book here in just a moment. Uh, I, I suppose I hope uh, we've certainly talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging on this podcast a lot in the past. I, I hope it's I hope everyone listening recognizes and understands why diversity is important, um, how it helps individuals, how it helps organizations. There's so much research on this. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Um, so with with that kind of we're, we're I'm assuming we're building on that foundation of an understanding of the positive outcomes. Um, why, why is DE&I work important to you? Why did you write this book? Um, we'll start there and then we can start to pick, you know, go into and unpack your book a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, um, so when I began working in the DEI space, I really 
um, had a personal attachment to it because of my upbringing, because I wasn't seeing a lot of people who are biracial, such as myself, um, claiming that, right? Or like being able to talk about the richness of that experience or the or the issues that come with, with that experience for some people. Um, and so I started doing work on race and, um, and looking at some of the systemic um, roots of racism. At that same time, I was also doing work interviewing um, Holocaust survivors and doing work with individuals with disabilities. And I realized that you know, systems of oppression and suppression. And, and I also have a background, um, I'm in recovery many years from an eating disorder. And so I, you know, I realized that there's a lot of different things that, um, systemic issues that really place people in positions to be harmed, to be wounded, to be victimized. Um, and, and, and so I wanted to, to do something that was bigger than just me, right? And so my business partner at the time and I, we got together and we formed the Demystifying Diversity podcast. And I started interviewing all these people. I think I did 128 interviews for season one and, um, you know, about a wide range of topics pertaining to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. As we were doing the podcast, as I was listening to all these voices, I just realized, you know, there are so many stories that I'm not going to have time to do justice to in the podcast. And the podcast piece is, is wonderful in that it's informative and it brings, you know, these diverse voices to listeners, but it's also, there's also a missing piece between information and application. And so I wrote the book because I wanted people to be able to really get more in depth than we were able to provide on the podcast. And also um, there's an accompanying workbook that you can buy with Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, which gives readers the ability to really practice these skills, right? Because you get information and it's like, okay, great. You know, now I know better, but then how do I do better? What do I say without putting my foot in my mouth? Like what, you know, how do I, how do I expand my circle of friends without seeming to tokenize people or without sort of, you know, calling every person of a certain identity I know and being like, tell me everything about what it is to grow up, you know, black or larger bodied or Asian or, you know, whatever, whatever the demographic is. And so 
Um, so it felt really important for me to write the book so that I was giving people something that they could use to navigate. Um, and the other piece to it, why I thought it was important to write Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, is that there is so much incredible work. There are incredible books out there, just incredible work um, by people far more talented and thoughtful than I am and, and brilliant. Um, but most of that work tends to be focused on a specific identity marker or experience, right? Like it tends to be very... Um, narrow. And I wanted to create something that was a microcosm of the macrocosm. So I wanted to create a book about diversity that was in and of itself diverse. So when you pick up my book, you're not just reading about race or culture um, or gender, right? Like you're getting an exposure to a lot of different possible identities and experiences, a lot of different voices. Um, and I think that's a realm where there's not enough in this space that really teaches people how to take a view of diversity that is in and of itself diverse and doesn't get so um, hyper focused that it misses that a lot that these are all interrelated systems and and we have to sort of combat all of them in order to liberate people of all identities. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that you you shared that. I was actually just in another um, DEI conversation um, earlier this morning, um, where we were talking about kind of the layers of diversity. Um, some people talk about the diversity wheel and concentric circles, and you kind of obvious, kind of the more obvious um, mm -hmm. visual forms of diversity yeah. um, versus you know you go out into these concentric circles and you you get deeper and deeper into who the person is. Um, but there's still lots of um, diverse elements there. And it's it's super important for us to consider all of those aspects um, and not just get stuck on some of those outward manifestations of, of different diverse backgrounds. Maybe can you speak to that a little bit more? Because it seems like that's an approach that you're taking in your book. Yeah, absolutely. And I frame it a lot as visible and invisible diversity. Like, for example, neurodiversity is one that people might overlook, right? They might not recognize that someone learns differently or um, perhaps has a disability or, you know, because it's not, it doesn't show up um, to the viewer, to the, to the outside observer. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's experiencing it isn't, isn't experiencing what they're experiencing, right? And doesn't have their own rich history and background um, connected with the ways that they um, that they show up in the world. So, I, you know, I think that to me, I see it a little bit as like subject and object, right? Like we sometimes objectify people and um, and create these narratives about what we think they've been through or who we think they are based on what we can see. And it's, it's very human to do that, um, but it misses out on the richness of a person. And I'll just share an example from my own life, right? So, um, people make a lot of assumptions about me based on my racial background, um, about things that I've experienced and like how it must have been for me. And, and they don't, it doesn't actually sync up with my lived experience, you know? And, um, and I know many, many, many people who have, uh, that is what the gist of our conversation is. When we sit down and I interview them, they will say to me, you know, I am blank identity, you know, fill in the blank here. 
Um, and people assume because of that, that I am, and they'll list all the things that people assume and they'll say, and the reality is this is who I am. And then they'll tell me an entirely different narrative about who they are and how they show up in the world. And I think we, we miss out, we miss out on who people really are when we project our assumptions and our biases onto them. And the only way to dismantle that is to get to know people for who they are. And that can't happen if we live in these little silos of communities where we're, we're interacting only with people who look like we do, who've been to the same schools, who, you know, have the same experience. So, so we have to like widen our exposure in meaningful ways, not just scrolling through Instagram and seeing photos of people, but like meaningful um, interactions. And that's where we realize, I think that's where I've realized like, oh my gosh, we all have the same feelings. We all suffer from shame. We all have hope. We all have joy. We all love the people that we love and want the best for them. We all want to, you know, our basic survival needs met. Like we're not not fundamentally different. And yet at the same time, our differences matter. And so how do we live in that dichotomy and hold that dichotomy and create that space for people? So I think that was a very long answer to your question, but I could stand on my soapbox and talk about this for hours. <laughs> Hopefully some yeah. of that made sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think you raise a really important point about projecting. Um, that's, I suppose that's human nature. We all do it. Uh, despite our best intentions. And you're right, the only way to stop is to recognize we're doing it and to just listen, to just get to know the people that you're interacting with and to, to just stop assuming that you know or understand um, until you've just like been with them and listened. Um, active listening, not like listening with an agenda of like, I need to be able to check the box that I now have uh, you know, a friend in this category, in this category, in this category. And, and, you know, uh, sometimes it, it's so interesting because all of this, this space can be uncomfortable. Um, and, and I find even people with good intentions because of the discomfort, the, you know, they start to lean on these, these narratives because they're familiar. Right. And so that can ease some of the level of complexity or discomfort that they might feel. And, you know, I just say, we just got to learn to be comfortable with the discomfort <laughs> and, and patient and flexible and, and to just, just listen. Uh, and, and that will help us to truly learn. Well, and even, you know, taking it out of the realm of DEI for a moment and just thinking about listening as a critical skill that can help build relationships and help us connect with people period, people in our lives. Like, I don't know, Jonathan, about you, but almost every argument I've ever had has begun with me having a false narrative or about someone else or someone else having a false narrative about me. You know, I think about in relationships or something, you know, if I'm like mad at someone, it's often not because of what they did. It's because of the motive that I attribute to their action or because of my interpretation of what it meant that they said something or didn't say something or showed up at a certain time or didn't show up or whatever, you know? And, and when I, when I enter into dialogues with people that I know and love, right. From a space of, Hey, so I'm curious, you know, I noticed that you said you were going to call and that didn't happen. And like, can you just tell me more about that? Or, um, or what came up for you? Or did I do something? You know, when I enter into spaces, from a humble space of 
authentic curiosity and wanting to get to know what drives people, I often find out that what I thought was not at all true, you know, and these are people I know. right? And so, um, and it's crazy to me um, that, you know, people I know and care deeply about, I can create false narratives about. And so, of course, I'm going to do that about strangers because I don't know them. I don't care deeply about them. And, you know, there's more layers of resistance to that connection. But I actually have found that working with um, diverse populations, that getting to know people with whom I have no connection has made me much more effective at the relationships that are already in my life too. And so I think, you know, sometimes people think about these skills as things that only have applications in a DEI context. And that is not true. It's like when we can practice the skill of listening, when all of our biases are screaming, right? And it's scary and it's hard. Well, then how much better of a listener am I going to be when I go to have a conversation with someone that I actually do know and care about and have a level of intimacy built in? I mean, it's just, it just makes me better at the business of living to to, to do the work that I do. And I think that's true of, of everyone. It's like, you know, um. I'm thinking about a college athlete, right? An NCAA division one college athlete who's just like striving and playing and working super, super hard. And then maybe, I don't know, they go back to like their high school baseball team to, to play on the field. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I got such a skill set that this is now easy. And so I, I think that that is true of the DEI space as well, that if we're willing to do this when the stakes are high and it matters and it's hard, um, we get so much better when the stakes are kind of lower and it's, and it's easier, but the other isn't true. You can't like practice for the high school team and then show up and, and <laughs> play yeah. NCAA baseball. Yeah, that's right. Well, Darylise, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you. We could go on and on and on. Uh, I do need to let you go and get back to your busy day, but um, I appreciate all of your insight. I appreciate all of, uh, of, of the great wisdom that you shared. Before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, uh, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a bazillion places that people can connect with me. I'll give two. My website is daraleeselyons.com. That's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And then the Demystifying Diversity Podcast website is demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Uh, the Demystifying Diversity Podcast is available anywhere people get their podcasts. The book Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity is available um, I would say anywhere books are sold, but I think for now you're probably better off going online in, in COVID days. Um, and I think just my my parting words of wisdom, which like no pressure here, right? <laughs> but my, my parting words would just be to practice. Like, let's look at this as a practice, maybe even a dance, you know, and have some grace, some self-compassion, um, and some enthusiasm for it, because I, I I don't think that there's any way to get from where we are to where we need and want to be without having really practiced this skill set. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much for joining us. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, check out Darylise's book, uh, reach out and find out more about what she can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thank you.
the alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.